We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back for part two, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see, how can you do with guessing who the players are that we are describing? It's been a lot of fun. We'll see how Caitlin does, but I want you guys to play along too if you haven't already. So the last four to five-ish players, we're going to be definitely leaving those more open-ended so Caitlin doesn't guess right away after we give all of our three clues. And you guys can maybe guess a little bit that you're listening. So a lot of fun on this podcast, talking with Caitlin, of course, because she's the queen of Outshine Popsicle. So want to thank Caitlin for coming on once again. And uh, we'll be right back after this message from Tyrese Halliburton. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's do this for the listeners. We'll go ahead and give all three clues before Caitlin guesses to give them more of a chance to guess. Because I know Caitlin's gotten quite a few in the first two guesses. So we'll go ahead and read all three of the clues before we let Caitlin guess. But you can you can raise your hand when you know what it is, Caitlin. We'll just wait to call on you. <laughs> all right. Well, that works. So for my next one, please don't call me Crash no more. Okay. Next one. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I forgot we we're changing that. Played out of position and constant hustle and threes. Yeah, this is their, this one is Aaron Neesmith. Very clearly this, this Aaron one, Neesmith. Yes, this one is Aaron Neesmith. Aaron, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can be too too out there on this. Like, I was like, these, these descriptions kind of, you know, it might be an easy one, but hey, that's what we got. I think Aaron Neesmith's role is going to be really interesting this year to see how he plays because – he did, like you talked about, Caitlin, I think we talked about this author, like he was saying he's going to play more behind the arc and not in the corner as much and be kind of a different player. Now that he's playing three instead of four. Curious your thoughts. Do you think he's better off offensively as a three or a four? 
Yeah, but I think I'm going to be curious to see exactly how that shakes out because I agree with them. At the three spot last year, the Pacers do when you're above the break, you are used as a the Pacers call it blur, but as a ghost screen or more. And really last year, the only time he was doing that is if he had like the weakest matchup on him. And his purpose was more so to go screen for Tyrese so that Tyrese would then have that matchup on a switch. So like in the game against New York, when he was being guarded by Julius Randle, he'd set a quick hook back and it really wasn't the outcome wasn't for Aaron. The outcome was to get the best situation for Tyrese. So you didn't see a lot of it, but then it's like in my head, I'm thinking, you know, if Buddy's coming off the bench now and that lineup's like Andrew, Buddy, Jarris, and pick a center, like I just think you're still going to have Buddy doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I still think there are going to be places where he would be in the corner in those situations. Like if, if you're running stack, it's going to be Buddy as the stack screener. It's not going to be Aaron. So. I understand from his perspective, though, like given that, you know, what different lineup combinations that are out there, he will need to do that more than what was the case last year when he was playing at the four. But I don't know, like because I I'd, I'd kind of doubt that he'll be guarded by the weakest person, too. Like, I would think that in those types of groupings that that would probably be who Jarris would be drawing. But um, I understand why he worked on it. We'll just have to see how often it actually comes into play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I will say this. He showcased a lot last year when he was in the starting five, and I felt like he did take a bit of a dip when Tyrese went out that first long stretch there. Like he just really did not shoot the ball particularly well. And so I'm curious to see how he does as a shooter because it was kind of up and down last year. Maybe I can't remember how it was the last couple of months. It feels like it was so long ago, but there for a hot stretch. Like I know at the beginning of the year, he really struggled off the bench. And when he got put into the starting lineup, I felt like he took it, like he turned the next page a little bit. And then when Tyrese went out, it felt like he kind of struggled again. Maybe I'm remembering this a little bit wrong, Caitlin, but it felt like he was just kind of inconsistent as a three-point shooter. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just been the story on him to a degree. Some of it has to do with like, he is a hop-step shooter. So when he gets the hop in, he's a little bit more accurate. But I think it, like he was the person that was assisted on the highest percentage of their field goals last year on the yeah. entire team. Like it was over 80%. So he definitely needs to be fed. And obviously if you're playing with a point guard who has really high pass accuracy, like Tyrese Halliburton, the ball's going in your shooting pocket and you don't have to adjust out of the pocket to go get it. You're probably going to have a better rate of connecting on those types of shots. But like for him, just the ability to put the ball on the floor a couple times you know, against closeouts and navigate in space without having to look down or because he, he isn't a quick rip threat. Like he's not really going to beat people with his first step. Typically, like if we all can like look aside from the dunk that he had yes. over Jared Allen, like generally speaking, that's not really going to be his mode of operation. So it, it, it he needs to tighten up the handle a little bit and get some of the east west out of the drives, I think. Yeah, and he he did talk about maybe wanting to do a little bit more offensively, you know, this year. But Al, going back to your point uh, about the streaky three point shooting, I mean, through October, November, shot about thirty three percent from three, then shot forty percent in the month of uh, December, then sub twenty seven percent in January, and then finished the year strong about thirty nine percent in February, thirty eight percent in March, and then finished the season the last couple of games at fifty seven percent in April. Oh, so. Wow. Really finished the season strong, but had some really inconsistent months, I'd say, in, uh, you know, 2022. For sure. Yeah, for and, sure. You, and, you know, too, like, remember how CJ Miles went through, like, a really deep slump over the back yes. half of the season? Both of them, makeshift fours, having to defend up a position. Like, there were lots of games last year where Aaron would be like, hey, you're guarding Nikola Vucevic. Hey, you're guarding... Jakob Pertle because we want to be able to screen or switch on those ball screens, but he's having to do a lot of fronting. You know, he had to front 
Joel Embiid for almost a whole quarter. So I imagine that, you know, that degree of fatigue and having to play up a position might have been impacting the shot a little bit too. So mm-hmm. that might that might help him out this year if he's not doing as much of that as far as assignments and cross matching. Yeah, that's a great and, point. Go ahead, Fudge. And to your point about him being the most assisted, you know, player on the team, you know, in terms of shooting. When January, when Tyrese Halliburton went down, that was the month that he shot sub 27% from three. And it was noticeable. I mean, he was just not getting the same looks. So obviously, I mean, who doesn't benefit from having one of the best passers in the game? I think Aaron Eastman is someone who's obviously going to be at his best when Tyrese is also, you know, getting him those type of looks. So I think that totally made sense when looking back at it. Yeah, for sure. All right. We got, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, my next player. I'm going to do the three clues and I'm sure Caitlin will know who it is when I give them, but we'll, uh, we'll let the listeners know by me reading all three. So the first one is he is a beneficiary of wedge screens. Number one, number two, evolving face-up game. Saw that last year a lot. And number three, the recipient of Quinn Buckner's best broadcasting call. Yes, it's definitely Miles Turner. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great one because I wanted to write an article about Miles shortly after I moved to Patreon, and I was like, he's playing bigger than ever because they would set. There was a few games when Tyrese was out where they leaned really heavily into wedge screen, so basically like Buddy would come up to the elbow to get Miles to slide down to the block, and that's just not something you would have seen in his game. Like it wasn't something that you would have seen a year ago, especially when he wouldn't. He wouldn't always get the ball on the initial screen, and then they'd set a cross screen, and he'd keep fighting for position going to the other side. So um, that was something that was new. And then the face-up game, yeah, like you would see him be pretty patient if it was on – didn't happen a lot that he'd post up against an opposing big. But if he did, like Mm -hmm. he would face up, put the ball on the floor, and did a little bit more with his driving game last year than we would have seen in the past two. Mm, I love love what we saw out of Miles. Do you think he could either A, do it again, or B, kill him? Is it too bold to say, is there more that we can look to expect out of Miles? I think some of it for Miles isn't so much going to be about Miles as what happens to the surrounding spacing around him. So I think some of it will be unlocked by Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, to be honest. Like, is Toppin going to end up being used more often as the screener moving to the basket and that pushes Miles back out to the perimeter? We know he is a capable shooter. He shot the ball well from three last year, but he doesn't tend to shoot the ball as well when he's defended by fours as he does by fives. And then also just like the overall spacing, like there were games last year, like they played New Orleans, Jonas Valanciunas didn't play in the fourth quarter. The Pelicans pivoted to playing Zion at five. They were switching everything. So the Pacers were throwing it to Miles in the post quite a bit. But when you look at the spacing, it's like Ben, Tyrese, Buddy, Andrew, at that point in the season, Ben was shooting the ball at a really high rate. Nobody's in the paint. Like all he literally has to do is turn over like a smaller player. Not a single other foot is in the paint. If the spacing changes somewhat this year and some teams decide, hey, let's let's test some of the limits of Miles' playmaking, I think he might see some different coverages that he wasn't seeing a year ago. That being said, he's a very complimentary scorer, and I think he proved that last year. And I just think some of it has to do with what the surrounding environment is and who he gets defended by. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how his offense continues to evolve this year. Hey, I would gladly take a, a tick up on the defensive side of things because it's, it's just... As awesome as it is to say, wow, Miles Turner's averaging 20 points per game. I don't know if it's necessarily exactly what the team needs. And those shooting percentages were so good last year that it feels hard to be able to maintain those percentages on even higher scoring averages. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm definitely excited to see if he can do it again. So for my next and last player, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's next. 
the breakout season is upon us. And lastly, Sir Lob City himself. So it's Obi Toppin. It is indeed Obi Toppin. So going with a, a little bit of a high flyer over there for the it's a bird, it's a plane, you know, that type of thing. It's Obviously, the man calling it. Exactly. It's a Dayton flyer. And then <laughs> and then obviously we got the man who's trying to now label the Pacers as Lob City. I mean, Caitlin, how far have we come from the last few years where I remember back when Cassius Stanley was being labeled to us as, oh, my God, he's so athletic. You got to see him. He can jump out of the sky. And now look, all of a sudden we have multiple guys that could flush down alley-oops. Yeah, I mean, just to put a number on it, during Isaiah's rookie year, he had he completed more alley-oop dunks than the two Pacer teams combined the prior two seasons. Like, there was one particular year where I think they had two. Um, yeah, I, did, like, I, did, I did several seasons. Like, I looked it all up. Like, there's a tweet out there somewhere with the, the numbers if people want to go search for it. I, I don't remember exactly. But, yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty far upgrade in the athleticism department to have that many people who you can not only run the floor with but be throwing it above the rim, too, as well, and have some vertical gravity. So, yeah, definitely interested to see Obi Toppin outrun some teams this year. Yeah, Fachi, I think one clue you could have thrown out there, too, was king of SEO, because I tell you what, if you look at the Pacers videos on their YouTube channel from all the media interviews, there are, you know, Tyrese is about like 1.7 thousand views. I think Rick was about 1.4 the last time I checked. Everybody else was at like maybe a thousand or below. Obi Toppin, 5,000 views. New York fans are obsessed with Obi Toppin. Anything you tweet about Obi Toppin? It gets aggravated. Oh, they, come for you. they mm-hmm. I mean, I put out what he, I put the video out where he was like asking, uh, or he talked about Tyrese being the best passer in the game and it's going to be Lob City. And I got New York fans in my mentions left and right so mad about <laughs> those two being together. Obviously, we got Tyrese and Jalen Brunson. That's kind of a thing now because of Wally Zerbiak last year. But other than that, you've got Obi Toppin leaving New York to come to Indiana. It's just funny. I, I can't believe how much energy is coming at the Pacers for Obi Top and just talking. And like, I don't think he's really even said anything that's been like that crazy either, Caitlin. No, and the strange thing about it too is, is like last year with the Knicks, he attempted more threes than ever. He screened less than ever and got fewer paint touches than ever. Like if that's what they wanted from that position, it makes sense to go get Dante DiVincenzo and let Dante DiVincenzo do that. Yeah. And Obi Toppin makes a lot more sense for the Pacers. So, I mean, this would be like me coming at Kings fans if Chris Duarte said something <laughs> like, oh, my chemistry with Sabonis, like, he's right. Like, you weren't going to play here. You might as well go play with somebody that you had established chemistry with. Like, I'm not going to go get mad if Chris Duarte has a good year with the Sacramento Kings. That's a great point. I, you know, I, it's just, like, so funny. I mean, New York's just a totally different animal when it comes to their fan base, you know. They're they're rowdy up there. They're ready to, I don't know, maybe it's because they invested the eighth overall pick in them, and he was supposed to be this great player and just never fit in. But like, where was the minutes going to come playing behind Julius Randle is an all NBA guy. Exactly. I feel like, I feel like Knicks fans are, are, are treating Obi like their ex-girlfriend that they, they didn't, you know, they weren't good enough to, and they're like, they were all in our comments right when we, we put up that video about, Hey, Obi top is a pacer. Everyone was in our comments, like treat him well, take care of him. You know, like all of this, like, it's like, all right, guys back off over here. He, he's ours now. Don't worry about him. He's in good hands. But Knicks fans, they were all over our episode about that. So, yeah. oh, you know, they're, they're, they're flocking in there. And I, I think they're going to be between this Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, Obi top. And now as a pacer, 
you could feel Nick's pacer starting to heat up a little bit. So something to watch out for this year. And I think somewhat it's polarizing too, because I do know that there's a segment of the Knicks fan base who would have been fine if in the past they had moved Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. Not because they don't think that Randle's better than Toppin or necessarily just the, the difference in style of play and that there were people who really did believe in Toppin and there wasn't going to be a path for minutes for him there. So watching it with the Pacers, it might be about like, yes, I was right. <laughs> yeah. Like from that standpoint as well. So um, a lot of polarizing opinions in the New York media sphere about Opie Toppin, it seems. Yeah, Julius Randle's a really good player. I mean, you can make the case that he was the Knicks' best player last year, made the All-Star team. I mean, Jalen Brunson was really good in the playoffs, so it's kind of hard to argue that against Julius Randle. I think you can make the case either way. I mean, it's it's a good point from both sides, I would say. But, yeah, I think Opie Toppin, like, the fact they only got two second round picks from him, though, was a little bit shocking to me. I thought they would at least get something of value back for him, considering he was a top 10 lottery pick. But at the same time, I guess the value of players that just aren't able to get that opportunity on the court, Caitlin, it's just, it just seems like it's down a little bit. I mean, Chris Duarte had injuries, but it's like Obi Toppin was just like not able to really showcase yeah. anything because of Julius. I'm guessing that some of the uh, locker room audio that leaked out around the time of that trade might have might have impacted the value just a smidge as well. I, I kind of I don't remember that. What happened? Is it like we're talking about? What did he say? He was just he was really angry at, at Tibbs uh, following like uh, I think it was halftime of the playoffs, and I guess he wasn't playing enough or anything like that. Mm. He was shouting at him, um, and that audio leaked right in the off season. Some people thought it might have been from Obi's camp. That's just rumors. Who knows? But it was definitely interesting timing for sure. You know, now that you say that, I kind of remember it, but it's all like, <laughs> it's all like I forgot about it. So I mean, that makes that makes sense. That would be why his value was down. Um, Chris Duarte's were totally different because he was just injured. That, I mean, that's a big thing with Chris. So, all right. Anyway, my last one here, Kalen, we've been making this game longer probably than we needed to make it. But um, the last one here, I'm going to get my three clues. You'll probably get it on the first one, but he is the defender of rim rolling fives, master of the ghost screen, and current teammate of DeAndre Ayton. Current teammate of DeAndre Ayton. Throwing a little FIBA at you here. Oh, so it's Buddy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 He he does strangely defend some rim rolling fives at times in order for matchup sake. Yes, that and was and crazy. Yeah. And Jared Allen, like I understand why they did it in both cases because they didn't want Miles Turner defending in space against Porzingis. They wanted to keep him low, and in the case against Cleveland, like that's mainly to take away lobs. They want to be able to switch those screens, but also like you don't want Buddy guarding Mitchell or Garland, and you want Tyrese being able to play aerial ace off of a Coro. So Buddy has to guard somebody. Yeah. So they put him on Jared Allen so that Miles could roam off of Evan Mobley. So like I understand the matchups, but yeah, I mean when you look back at last season. I think a lot of people that were probably outside of the Pacer fandom are like, Buddy Heald guard, spent 50% of his time guarding forwards and centers. Like, what yeah. is happening here? So, <laughs> I was in Washington for when he was guarding Porzingis, and I felt like I was in like a cartoon. I was like rubbing my eyes, being like, is he guarding Porzingis right now? Like, there, there's just a solid difference in size. But yeah, and seeing it out there, it was, uh, it was something. The wildest one was when he spent all the possessions against Kevin Durant. That, that, that one was a little... Uh, <laughs> Duffer to, but he can't guard KD. Tall task for a lot, a lot of them. But yeah, Oof. <laughs> I'll never forget when Kevin Durant kicked the ball, or was it he threw the ball into the stands? He threw, 
and nothing happened. And Rick Carlisle was like so mad about that after the game. He's like, pretty sure Kevin Durant just like threw the ball into the stands and didn't get ejected. Okay. It's like, dang, this is going to be fun. I like Rick. He just never know with him. And he did. He's kind of a no nonsense guy when it comes to the media too. Uh, I will say this being there in person with his interviews, it's kind of intimidating to ask him a question because if you don't ask him a question that he feels is worth answering, he's just not going to answer it. And <laughs> I don't know. I just, he definitely is a little bit intimidating. Fletch. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I really don't know what to say to him. Like, I feel like everything I ask is going to come across as stupid. I, I could imagine that. I don't want to say coach pop like, but pop has some of that where, you know, he's going to joke around a little bit with you. You got to come right with that question. So I could definitely see that. Did you ask him any questions? I didn't. I was going to let the vets handle it. I said, I'm just kind of soaking it all in. I think I asked one question the whole day, and I asked Kendall Brown a question because it was like five of us around for that one, and I asked him what he thought about helping out at Matherin's uh, camp in the offseason. That was like my only question. But a lot of the questions that I wanted to ask were asked by other people, so wasn't like anything new under the sun to ask. And then interviewing Miles and Chad and, and, and Ben before we the season started, I just didn't really have anything like, a lot to ask, I guess you could say, in terms of stuff like season goals for everybody. That's a you know, cla- classic softball question to the guys. Yeah. Like, what are your goals for this season? You know, like it's sometimes you get some good quotes out of it, but most of the time I just I didn't really know how to phrase questions correctly and didn't want to like start any drama either by like, how do you feel about being the backup point guard or whatever? Because I, I, I wanted to ask Andrew Nimard, like, how important for, is it for him to like, to be a starter is it really that important to him if he comes off the bench but what's he gonna say oh i'm just happy to be here you know what i mean so that's that is part. something i'm glad that you brought that up because there was one thing when rick was asked about you know how minutes would be allotted and he said that two of the criteria was going to be defensive impact and unselfishness it's like if that's two of the criteria and andrew nemhart isn't a starter yeah. doesn't make that's sense curious to that. that's curious point. i mean i wanted to ask rick about andrew in terms of like how he envisions him, but he talked about it today. He talked about recording this Thursday. He talked about how he's a guy that can play off the ball, but he's also a guy that's very capable with the ball in his hands. And right now he's running the backup point guard. So, and I think that that's what needs to happen. I mean, as soon as they signed Bruce, it became pretty clear to me that, okay, now Andrew's going to come off the bench. And if he's going to, to me, it's more about what happens with TJ McConnell. Cause I think, I think it's best for the franchise to get an eye at Ben as the starter and get it as much of an eye as you can at Andrew running backup point guard but also still getting minutes with Tyrese get both of them in their ideal roles and evaluate at the end of the year which one of them you think you know does Ben take a step forward and Andrew doesn't does Andrew take a step forward and Ben doesn't and then kind of evaluate that at the end of next season but it it just it stood out to me when they said that defensive impact and unselfishness (laughs) were going to be two of the criteria and I'm like and on day one Ben and and Ovi Toppin are in the yeah yeah exactly Yeah, on paper, that felt like what we all imagined would be that starting five. But we'll we'll see how it shakes out. I'm excited to have some actual Pacer basketball this weekend, preseason, playing the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll get our first, you know, real visual of the guys in action. So do you anticipate any starting lineup changes throughout that? Or do you think the Pacers will go with one one unit throughout in terms of the starting lineup? Based on all of their interviews, it sounds very much like roles – are earned, not given, and mm-hmm. that competition was repeated many, many times. I counted many. on media day, and it was 
over 20 times oh my that, that that word was said so you never know i suppose if somebody really stands out and impresses or they're not liking how the that unit is gelling but i still think overall like i think clear back when i talked to you guys in june all, all three of us were pretty much on board that that's probably where they would start things mm-hmm. i don't necessarily yeah. think that's where they will end with things by the end of by the end of the season i'll be surprised if that's still the starting lineup but i think oh, it yeah. is i think it is the starting place it is and I think, what ma- I think what matters too, which we don't talk about it enough, we only give like a lot of like talking points to who's the starters, but really who's the closing five should be the most right. important. And I think and I that's going to be, be telling. And I think there's going to be a lot of flexibility with that. Because for me, and I, I'm guessing the coaching staff as well, is is the closing lineup you're leading by five or you're trailing by five? Because I think that's two different groups. True. And I think yeah. that there's probably going to be decisions made based on on that as much. So That's a good point. Hey, we'll, we'll see. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, that closing lineup, in my opinion, is, is far more important. I mean, there's been plenty of guys that weren't starters that were really good. I mean, I was just throwing out there, but Manu Ginobili, which came off the bench for years, vital part of the Spurs. We'll see what happens with this team. Uh, I'm just really excited to have such a deep roster because Alex and I looked at the, the group that went to training camp last year. No offense to the likes of, you know, uh, you know, Terry Taylor and there was uh Langston Galloway and um Goga. I forget his name. Goga, but, but, but the, the guy, the long shot guy. I'm the, the European, I'm already blanking uh, on his name. David Servitas. David Servitas. Yeah, so you look at a couple guys that it's like <laughs> Say that three times, Flash. Yeah, exactly. That's gonna be a tongue twister right there. Some of those guys, I mean, they're they're not even in the league anymore. So you look at this Pacers team. They are going to be battling for every single spot. And even the players that are out of the rotation could very well be not only starters, but also just really big contributors on many other teams. And that just shows we got something building over here that it's going to be great for years to come. I mean, I think that that's what they're hoping for with how many times they said the word competition, that if you know that your spot isn't solidified, that that makes people have to continue working for it. And hopefully, you know, on the defensive end, we do see just do see some improvement there. Yeah, I will say I was glad that Carlisle actually joined the morning radio show here locally. And Kevin Bowen asked Carlisle, like, what's going to be the determining tiebreaker if there's two guys that meet all the qualifications that you asked for in training camp. And it's like, okay, we got to decide between these two guys that both work, both work their butts off and both earn this spot. What determines that? And he said, at the end of the day, you've got to go with the guy that gives you the best chance to win. So that to me is like pretty simple. Right. But at the same time, it's like, it felt like he wasn't just like guaranteeing like, Oh, we're going to give the young guys playing time because we're going with a youth movement or we're going to give the veterans playing time because they've earned it. No, it's who gives us the best chance to win. I felt like that was a good answer. And I thought that was a good question to kind of follow up on all the competition stuff, because I don't think anybody asked Rick about that on media day. So I thought it was good to get that answer. And from the standpoint of, I don't know how you guys have felt, but I've, I wouldn't say mixed messaging, but just as far as like the players very much seem like it is their intention. We want to be back in the playoffs. Like Tyrese, mm-hmm. you know, really emphasizing, you know, my big takeaway from Team USA is that I'm tired of losing. I haven't had a winning season since my freshman year at Iowa, like at Iowa State, I mean. So like it seems from the player perspective, especially he and Buddy, that they they are expecting that, you know, we want to try to make a push for the playoffs. Then when you heard Chad Buchanan speak at, during his media availability, he was like, you know, we need to take a long view with this. 
Like, mm-hmm. not that he was saying that he was ruling the playoffs out or by any means, but, like, just depending upon who you ask, is it winning? Is it development? So it sounds like there from Rick's perspective that it is more a standpoint of put the guys out there that are going to give us the best chance to win the game. So I think that there does have to be a delicate balance with that. I mean, personally, there might be some situations where TJ McConnell is going to give you a better chance to win the game. Do I think that that's probably in the best long-term interest of the franchise? No. 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 So, but I think the players are hoping to give the front office every reason to keep pushing forward and not be sellers. So if they are in that real playoff picture, like they were at one point in January when they were the, the sixth seed that everybody remembers before Tyrese went down, they might ride this out a little bit instead of being like, hey, you know what, let's start you know, selling a little bit. So I think the players collectively, yeah, playoffs, that is what they want. I love hearing it from them because that's not what we were hearing last year. Last year right. there was a whole bunch of sugar coating and you know, hey, we got to see how things fold, you know, unfold. What whatever it is that all the excuses that you make for not saying, you know, hey, we're going to be a great team this year, we're going to be a playoff team. But also, yeah, development is really important. So there, there yeah. has to be that tiptoe in there because if you mention, hey, if a, an Andrew Nemhard or anyone, a Jarris Walker, or any of those guys that you want to build around, were out of the lineup. That, hey, look, we're not trying to make the play in that bad. We want to see these guys out there getting better on a consistent level, and we want winning to come with that. So we all know this isn't the year, but we hope it's a step towards the year. Yeah, because, I mean, that would kind of be the worst-case scenario, right? It, it, would be, exactly. it would be Bruce Brown's a starter and Andrew's in a smaller role playing off-ball off the bench. Obi Toppin's eating a lot of the minutes from Jarris. Yeah. Maybe Jarris's role isn't there, and, you know, maybe – Maybe there, you know, Ben, I, I think that there's going to be adjustments for Ben in year two that could make it tempting to be like, mm, Buddy's still on this roster. I know. Like, Buddy I know. has existing chemistry with Tyrese. Like, and you're going to have to steady the course because to me, like, we know what the draft history is here. Like, going back to Miles Turner, there's only two players who have signed second contracts that the Indiana Pacers have drafted. Miles and Edmund Sumner, who ended up then getting traded, unfortunately, because he ruptured his Achilles. But literally no one else that they have drafted have they signed to a second contract. Like, they need Ben and Andrew and Jarris to really hit. Like, to me, that's the most critical part. When you get to the end of the season... They need to know that those guys are like at the very least, Ben, if not Andrew, are critical pieces of this core. So yeah. you need to get there because if if the other three veterans play and that helps you win a few extra games and you get into the playing tournament and then like God forbid you don't make the playoffs, then like what was the season for at that point? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward with these contracts of these, you know, veteran players. Daniel Tyus team option next year. I think uh TJ McConnell, we talked about that, has got a partial guarantee, Buddy Hills and expiring. This year he'll be an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, Fachi, I was going to ask you, I don't want to interrupt you, but you said, you know, you, the players want to prove, you know, to the, you know, the, the, the front office, like we don't want to be sellers, but don't you think there's a, a fine line there too, where they could still be somewhat sellers while not totally busting up the team? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a fine line, like a guy like Jordan war, but, but being a seller in that stance, we, well, I'm talking more like McConnell, pick. Tyus, well, buddy, that's your pieces you're going to move off of anyway. The other players, I don't really see them selling off of anybody else. It, it, exactly. I think I think Buddy is the, if you're really looking for a return, Buddy is that player that can yield something back. A Daniel Tice, uh, a Jordan Wara, not much is going to happen with that. So obviously to a degree, hey, look, yeah, you got an expiring, you got essentially two expiring contracts in Tice, Nora, and then obviously another one in Buddy, and then McConnell, a little bit of money left over, obviously still on a deal. So to a certain degree, yes. But if you were to move 
Buddy and McConnell early, you know, it, it would be it'd be an interesting move that would say, hey, we're probably thinking far longer term than we are thinking right now. Okay. I just wanted to, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I was just curious. Cause I mean, obviously to me, like selling would be like trading a Bruce Brown. That would be more of a no, selling. No, I, I no, I I don't think they're gonna be selling in terms of that unless there was some big deal out there, you know, that, that could that could make a lot of sense. But in yeah. my opinion, if you have expiring assets, you really gotta uh, try and get value for them. But it also depends where the Pacers are at come January, February, because if they really are in the playoff picture, that could very much change, you know, how they might not be so nearsighted. They might say, you know what, maybe let's ride this out, get these guys some great experience in the playoffs. Uh, But if things aren't going well, we're sub 500 at the deadline. Yes. It makes a lot of sense to be selling off assets. All right. If you're you're trading Bruce Brown, I would think that that would be a situation where you would be buyers. Be, well, that's what I'm be, saying. Yeah, you would be being opportunistic because, like, maybe the situation in Toronto goes really that's poorly, exactly. and and that's... Siakam's not fitting in that system, or you know, Off to OG's, a great start. OG's not getting the creation reps that he wants up there, and like, if things go poorly, then you're being opportunistic, and you're like, hey, this Bruce Brown contract could be very useful for us to acquire a player. Otherwise, I would yeah. I would expect that Bruce, you know, stays on the roster and is helpful to them in trying to make a playoff push. Yeah, I would just hope Pascal passes out of double teams if he gets double teams so he's not a selfish player because I'm just kidding. It's a lot of stuff that Masai said there. I don't know if you saw that, Caitlin, but it was just like, my goodness. Yeah, Samson asked that question. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. I couldn't believe the answer that Masai gave back. And then I I, I always forget their new coach's name. I feel terrible. Darko. Yeah. Yeah. And they want to play a more egalitarian style. I don't think that, that Pascal is a selfish player. I think that that was just the results of what their surrounding spacing was. Yeah. And that, you know, they have to kind of play bash ball in order to find their advantages. So they obviously don't want it. They want the ball to move quicker. We'll see how it goes. You know, Pascal, unrestricted free agent coming up. OG, Gary Trent Jr. You got a lot of people in that lineup who, if you're not satisfying needs or you're not meeting expectations could potentially be on the move. Although, you know, Fred probably should have been on the move last trade deadline and, and he was not. So they've, they've handled things very interestingly there. I mean, Kawhi, that whole thing could have blown up in their face. If they don't win the championship, they're trading a legend in DeMar DeRozan for Toronto for a one-year rental of Kawhi. I mean, yeah, they won the championship, so you can't knock them for it. But to me, I felt like Messiah's really gotten a pass basically for that because they could have traded Kyle Lowry earlier than they did and waited till the off season to do that. Same with Fred Van Vliet, and I just, if you look at Toronto and the way they've handled it, it's like, is he going to be so stubborn with what he wants back in a trade that these guys just end up walking for nothing? And then they're just kind of stuck there with egg on their face. And, I mean, it, I I just have a feeling the way Masai has handled things the past couple of seasons that, that he's got to really make a tough call here in terms of which direction this team wants to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like I think that he's just prepared to feel it out and see how guys fit under a new coaching staff, but they've certainly bled a lot of talent since the championship without getting a whole lot in return for those particular assets. So they took responsibility. I listened to that media session. They took responsibility for the fact that they didn't anticipate Fred getting that offer and and Fred walking because he got that lucrative of an offer. So we'll see how that impacts their decision-making headed into February if things don't go how they're planning for them to. Yeah, I don't know who they're trying to fool. Uh, when they're just like trying to trade for Dame without really giving up much, you know, in return. So these guys, they're walking. I, I truly believe it. So I think they're going to put on this facade for a little bit while longer. But come January, February, everyone's going to be checking in on the Raptors. And I, I think it would be smart for them to make a deal instead of continuing to let these guys walk because 
that franchise is at a pivotal point. I just had to talk about the Raptors because I know Caitlin's rocking the red and white here. I know it's IU, but <laughs> it just reminded me of Toronto. <laughs> so I, I had to go down there. But anyway, no, that was just a lot of fun. We got to talk about the Pacers, talk about some other teams in the NBA and just kind of have a nice conversation about basketball. So preseason will be here shortly. We will have a podcast for you guys after that game talking about that. But this will be the last one you guys hear from us for the weekend. So hope you guys have an amazing weekend. Caitlin, go ahead and plug anything you'd like to plug before we let you go. Right. So my Twitter handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. I guess I should say my X handle, whatever we're calling it these days. And then if you go there, the link to my Patreon's there, patreon.com slash basketball, she wrote. Um, this week I wrote a piece about I was doing my predictions of like sixth man, seventh man, eighth man, ninth man, tenth man. It wasn't so much predictions as much as like the implications of playing each player where and when they would come into the games and various combinations that was pretty in-depth. And then wrote a little bit about Andrew talking about uh, refining some shooting mechanics with Jenny Busick and kind of showing some film examples of him, you know, using a one-two tap versus a hop step and then some of what Aaron talked about and playing above the break. So those two things are both up there. And then I'm kind of, I'm in the same boat as you guys, ready to see them start actually playing some basketball, even if the basketball doesn't count for anything. It's still something tangible that we can watch and have takes away from other than just talking about, hey, we need to improve on defense and there's <laughs> going to be a lot of competition. So how much do you think they show schematic-wise in the preseason games? I mean, I think that they will because that's that's something else. If anybody's listening to this, if you're not a patron, you can go over there. I do have an unlocked article from Summer League, which Ben Shepard and Jarris both mentioned and said, not my article, but they mentioned the fact that they said um, that a lot of the changes that they made defensively happened already at Summer League. So mm-hmm. I had written a piece during Summer League showing like, hey, this is different, this is different, this is different as far as like terminology that you could hear from the sidelines. So I think that I think that you'll see it pretty quickly. It sounds to me like there's going to be a lot, to put it in kind of simple terms, not as much heavy gap help, not as much help from the low man, that they're putting more responsibility on people defending in space and maybe potentially pressuring. I heard a lot of like chasing through screens that led me to think that less, you know, icing side pick and roll is more funneling stuff to the middle towards miles. So I mean, the number one word you could hear throughout all that was square, square, square. That anytime anybody was in space, they needed to be squared to the ball because they didn't want to bring a lot of help. Whereas last year, they had a very heavy nail presence pretty much all of the time. So um, I think that those are kind of the main things that we'll see. But yeah, I mean, if people want to read that, I think that the article, if they just search it on Google, even it's unlocked. So it's it's what could be learned from what was overheard from the Pacers at Summer League. So if people want to get an early peek at that, you can go check that out. That's totally free. And I'll be happy to have people stop by my stomping grounds. Hey, Caitlin, great work as always, and really appreciate you coming back on. It's always a pleasure. And just like you mentioned, I'm excited to have some actual Pacer basketball to talk about. So look forward to having you back on when we can actually talk about what's been going on in these games as we inch towards the regular season. So uh, once again, thanks for coming back on. Can't wait to have you back on again. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.